0: Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. I should let you know I have a cough. <laughs> and uh, if, if I have a coughing fit, please look the other way, because i will it's bad enough. Anyway, we are in the book of Acts this morning, chapter 19. The book of Acts, chapter 19. We will consider verses 1 through 10. But we will stand and and take verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 19, please stand. And even if you don't have it open, please stand with us. And if you're home watching online and you can, why don't you also stand for the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 19, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through, the upper regions came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him. Who would come after him? That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please be seated. Well, we left the city of Corinth, and if Corinth was a 10 on the scale of wickedness, 10 being the highest, Ephesus was a 9. We just finished that beautiful song about the Holy Spirit. That is the very thing they were lacking. And uh, it's very uh, insightful, this passage of Scripture. And uh, the title, incidentally, is Ephesus, the Darling Church. And there's a reason why I chose that as a title. When you consider the list of Christians in the New Testament that played a role in this church, the ones listed, not to mention all the others that were not, and you're quite impressed The other churches don't don't seem to have had this much attention. This was a church that was a darling church. Paul the Apostle, he ministered there. It is said that John the Apostle finished off his days in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla, who we met last session from Pontus, that's up to the north in uh, Bithynia. Then there was Apollos from Egypt, and I'm naming their where their origins, where they came from, for for a purpose. Timothy from Lystra. Now, Ephesus is in modern Turkey, whereas Corinth is in modern Greece. Of Timothy, Peter, Peter wrote to him and said, Remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. They're pretty serious about the truth, the scripture, and it was not well received when someone was in a church preaching gibberish. Tychicus, one of my favorites, Acts, uh, pardon me, 2 Timothy 2, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. See, these little comments are round uh, here and there, and giving us insight on what was going on in this church. And we want to learn from our New Testament, what is to go on in the church. It concerns believers, We're talking about the local assembly. Gaius was from Macedonia. Aristarchus from Thessalonica. Trephimus from Ephesus, as well as Onesiphorus. He's saying, these names, I don't get them, but but you get this. These are real people. And not only did God love them, they loved God. And they played a role in their Christian life. And that's why their names are in the Scripture. More importantly, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fortunatus was from Corinth, as was Erastus, Stephanus, Acacius, Chloe's household. It's not Chloe, it's people from her household. In 1 Corinthians, we read, For it has been declared to me concerning you. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth from the city of Ephesus. And he says, It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren by those from Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Paul's saying it shouldn't be this way. There should not be these brush fires going on in the church. This contention. And other churches had it too. There was a, one that was flaring up in even the great church of Philippi. But this, this once darling church will backslide. They will lose their sense of love for Jesus. They will be involved in a lot of activities, a lot of decent and goodwill things. But they lost their love for Jesus. And their love loss was so important that Jesus brought it up. He didn't let it pass. He had to tell them, I see you're doing all these things, but you've left your first love. This from Revelation Chapter 2, the first paragraph, the first church that he singles out is the church in this city with these real people. And by the time Christ sends that letter to them, that darling church is now that struggling church because they lost their love for him. And if they don't have love for him, all other loves are diminished. Well, we look now at first one, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples. We'll stop there. Now, we covered last session, Apollos. He he preached in Ephesus before Paul arrived, and he goes to Corinth, where Paul had come from. Apollos recently departed, and this group of disciples here in this city of Ephesus were, were Messianic. They believed in the Messiah. It seems as though they believed that Christ was the Messiah. Because of Apollos. Luke treats them as believers. These 12 men about, they're about 12 men, he mentions in, in verse 12. Uh, well, not verse 12, maybe 6. It's in here. But here, in, in verse 2, he will call them believers, as, as will, he will in other verses also. But like Apollos, their knowledge of Christ did not go far enough. Now, those of you who are veteran Christians, participants in God's word, You probably love that 16th chapter of John, or 14, 15, and 16. He deals with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come. He's going to guide you in all truth. He will not testify himself, but he will testify of me. They didn't have that. That was missing from their lives, and they didn't even know it. They were believers. They are treated as such. But that element of the Holy Spirit not being present, Paul picks up on They did not go far enough. They knew of John's baptism without the Spirit. They understood that there was a right and wrong according to God, and they lined up with that. I believe they they acknowledged that Christ was the Messiah. Maybe you have met people that say they're Christians, and they believe and embrace the Christmas story, the nativity of Christ, the crucifixion and resurrection, and that's it. They know no more and you pick up very quickly there's there's something missing there's not that zeal and excitement for for the things of Christ and i would my one of the first stops would be they do not have the holy spirit they have not been immersed in the spirit the holy spirit by Christ believers yes but baptized in the spirit no can can you who know the spirit of god in Christ, can you imagine being without him? See, it halts the witness of the believer. It dims it way down. An effective preaching of Christ becomes non-existent. And as far as these these men go, there's about 12 of them, it says, it's difficult to accept that they had no knowledge of, of Christ, his life, crucifixion, resurrection. But that was as far as they could go, if they had that much. Now, we are 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. And the birth of the church, of course, was not long after that. In any case, being without the Spirit, whom Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, the Gospels were not in circulation yet. John's gospel won't be uh, put together for maybe another uh, 25 years before John writes the gospel according to John. So they don't have the advantage that we have. Everything word of mouth, signs and wonders. And uh, this baptism of John was pre-Pentecostal knowledge, incomplete Christ had more. He promised more. John the Baptist promised more. And they were missing out. Who who wants to miss out, you know? Somebody giving away free chocolate and you didn't get one. You're missing out. Well, that's one thing with chocolate, but we're talking about something infinitely greater. Having passed through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus. So he's on the move again. And he has men with him. He stays in this city for three years ministering, laying that solid foundation, which is why it is that darling church. It was very special. But let's talk about this city, Ephesus, as we did somewhat about Corinth. It was located on the Kaster River, which fed into the Aegean Sea. And you say, yeah, yeah, that's boring. Well, it has something to do with why that city has been abandoned. The population in these days was about 300,000 people. That's a sizable city. The city of Richmond is about that size. They had an amphitheater that could seat 25,000 people. You say to yourself, okay, what's the point? (laughs) Well, the point is this. These are people in that number to be saved. God has people there, as he did in Corinth when he told Paul, I have many people in this city. Well, he has them elsewhere, too. Ephesus excelled in politics and education. The city was ranked along with Alexandria in Egypt. That's a big deal. This wasn't, this wasn't some, you know, uh, off-the-beaten-path place where people were. They were very much plugged into the world. And the ships would come in, and they would bring not only cargo and things from around the world and have things sent out, export, import, but they also had people imported and exported in the sense of visiting and coming and going. I guess the big thing about this that uh, really gave opportunity to Paul is that this city had this uh, temple of Diana, one of the now mythological gods, was to us, of course, non-existent as a god, but they worshipped her. It was a perpetual feast of vice serving her, as in Corinth. That temple of hers, one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Again, that means something because you have people converging on this city to experience this temple. It is said it took 220 years to finish it. And it had gone through stress from invaders, fires, things like that. Built of the purest marble. Stood 60 feet high. That's six stories. 127 columns. You can see they love this place. Paul's going to cause a riot here because he he stands in opposition to all of this. That which they held so dear, he said, shh, they didn't appreciate it. Of course, many felt no need for the gospel, but he wasn't after them. He was after the ones who would feel a need, but he didn't know who they were until he engaged them, as we don't today. Well, sometimes we do. Eventually we do. Today, the city of Ephesus, in ruins, because silt from that Caester River had... Pretty much bogged down. There's an insect in here. I'm sorry. I, sh- I should be more professional than that. <laughs> Kill him on the slide. But anyway, that river silted up everything. And of course, with that would come uh, the, the marshes and the malarias, the things that would, would come in an area like that. And the inhabitants just left the city, pretty abandoned. It. And today it's a tourist stop. But from this city... Paul would write to the Corinthians. I know I I mentioned that earlier. And that Corinthian letter is very special. First Corinthians. When I say it's very special, the first Corinthian letter says to us today, look at how messed up a church can be. Don't be like them. That's why these things are here. And and of course, it's it's to individuals, because individuals make up the local church. That's why it's so dear to God. 1 Corinthians 16, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So that's how we know he's writing from Ephesus. He said, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus. For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Oh, yeah. He, suffered when he, told, he talks about Asia and uh, his experiences there at one point. And he says we despaired of life. We're going to get to a riot that he causes at the end of this chapter, not this morning, but in latter sessions. In Ephesus, life revolved around this temple of Diana. And there would be the church of God. Contradicting everything that was central to their way of life. To what they valued. We stood in opposition to that. And again, that's where the riot begins when you get to verse 23. What about today? Do we stand in opposition to the madness that's out there? It's being spewed out from Satan. You know, a lot of high people in high places, let me rephrase that. A lot of low people in high places are engaged in in actively explicit Satan worship. Which starts off with being stupid. Wait, where would you get the name Satan from? Well, he's a loser in the Bible. And you're worshiping him. You deserve to go to hell if that's how you think. Why should God let you in heaven when you are honoring his enemy? But, of course, they sell their souls. It says here in verse 1 and finding some disciples. Again, they're called disciples, they're called believers. We have no reason to doubt that. And they seem to be separate from the synagogue that is in Ephesus. Whether they're Jews or Gentiles or mixed, we're not told. Whenever Luke uses the term disciples in Acts, he's referring to believers. We get to verse nine. We'll see it again. In verse two, it says that he said to them, "Paul, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe?" So they said to him, "We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit." So he's, he's dialogue. He's engaging them, and he's, he's Boy, these guys aren't on fire for Christ. They, you know, they talk religion a little bit, and then they're ready to talk about something else. So he sensed this deficiency of the spirit, and he raises the question. And if a pastor can't ask a question about religion in church, where can he ask that question? The apostle did not let this go. And that is amazing. No Christian without the Holy Spirit should be content with that part because you've not entered into the further promises of Christ. I will send you the comforter. And uh, it is explicitly stated that they lacked this distinct experience with the Spirit apart from conversion. Converted to Christ, they believed in Him and that's as far as they went. This is made obvious when Paul later will said, well, he says it here, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? That takes away from us the right to say, well they weren't believers well that's not what the Bible says. And, mercifully, God knew where they were, and he dispatches his apostle to address this so that we could learn. So, uh, here they had this intellectual acceptance of Christ, and not much more. Christianity without the Holy Spirit is not only passionless, it's ineffective. Well, you could be passionate, as Apollos was before... that Quiller and Priscilla pulled him aside and corrected him. But that passion is more of a zeal for something you believe rather than someone in you flowing through you. And his preaching changed radically after they tweaked it, you he could say. Somehow news of Pentecost, news of the Holy Spirit, never reached them here in, in Asia. And uh, again, this... Um, Acceptance was not good enough. It's not good enough to agree that Christ is who he says. There has to be contact from heaven to you in a very pronounced way. And when you sing songs and your hands go up and you're worshiping the Lord, that's just another evidence of the Spirit in your heart. Yeah, they can be imposters, but why approach it that way? The apostles will, the Lord will surface them when it's time. Unfortunately, they, they get away with a lot of damage until then. But this is a critical understanding that every believer must have, and that's one of the wonderful things about the book of Acts. I think a lot of churches avoid the book of Acts, because they don't want to talk about tongues. <laughs> uh, be that as it may. Uh, incidentally, Luke, who's, who's writing the book of Acts, has not written his gospel yet. And so when he starts off in his, his gospel, when he writes a letter to uh, Theophilus, which is the gospel, he says, of that first account, which is the book of Acts, O Theophilus. And he wants to expand on it. And um, that, that here, it's not yet in print. So, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 8. John the Baptist, who they were followers of, said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is another experience that they were to enter into. Three experiences of the Holy Spirit are available to man today. And a lot of Christianity doesn't want to hear it. A lot of Christianity, well, that was for those guys back then. Show me that. Show me where it stopped. Because what I see in my Bible, in John's Gospel, that the Holy Spirit will be beside us. He will draw us to God. You have come across people in the process of being saved. They're interested. They're asking questions. They want salvation. They just don't know how to get there. And that's where we could... We are to help them out. And then Jesus said in John 14, 7, that he would be in us. Now, three prepositions, with us, in us, and upon us. That's how it is taught. He's not yet upon these, these fellows here. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, you should read that out loud, because it wouldn't benefit you if you just watched me read it quietly. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Epa, epi in the Greek. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And as you track Paul, we'll get to it in letters, I guess. Uh, well, you don't say that every day, latter letters, but I just did. Uh, as we track him, we say, man, this guy's covering territory. Talk about Jerusalem, Samaria, outer parts of the world. This is Paul. Going everywhere, and he's got this entourage of servants, and he's dispatching them. Take a kiss I have sent to Ephesus. You know, he's just, and they're just on it. You get the feeling that they were too busy being Christians to fuss with each other. Those around Paul, not the churches, not all of them. The Samaritans, you remember them from Acts chapter 8. Well, they, be- they became believers, and we're told in chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, that they also lacked the Holy Spirit till the apostles came up. Paul himself, in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, after his conversion, three days later, before the Spirit came upon him, and Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's the same, at the same time, sometimes it's not. When Cornelius gets saved, him and his household, they start speaking in tongues right away. You can't put God in a box and get away with it. Multitude. So your doctrine does not always have to catch up with your understanding. That's kind of an odd thing, you say. Well, that makes me scratch my head. Well, let me put it this way. There will be multitudes in hell... Did not that did not believe in the doctrine of hell. They didn't believe hell existed. And yet there they are. Because they resisted the Christ, who they were told existed. And so your doctrine, your, your articulation of it is, is not, you know, when Cornelius gets the gospel and he starts speaking in tongues, how much doctrine did he not know? All, almost all of it. And that's why the churches, that's why he himself has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the edification, for the equipping of the saints, for the body of Christ. There's a purpose behind these things. With some folks, it's, it's rather, it's, it's instant. With others, it's, it's not. And one should not think less of the other. So it is this third experience, the Spirit coming upon them, that they lacked. And as I mentioned, a Christian may be filled with the Holy Spirit without understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But there they are. So that brings up some questions. Did Sapphira and Ananias claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, those of you who are Bible veteran students, you understand Sapphira and Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. Oh, we are going to donate this much money to you. And then they, you know, they don't and they were caught and paid the price. Can I be saved if I'm not immersed in the Spirit? Yes. Not ideal, but that's what these Ephesians were that we're dealing with. They were saved. They're treated like believers. Can I be filled if I'm not saved? Absolutely not. You must be belong to Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 14, 17, and then Romans 8, 9 make that clear. I, I would love to read the verses, but then we're out of time. Can I have been filled, then go on to lead a weak Christian life? Yes. Ergo Corinth. Not all of Corinth, but enough of it. Enough of that church. Paul said you lacked no spiritual gift, and yet they made a mess out of things with their infighting, their competitions, their displeasures, their asserting themselves, their striving. Instead of just coming to church and worshiping and serving. They had nothing to complain about. That didn't stop them from complaining. Because again, it's easier to complain than it is to think. And it's very easy, we need to stay ahead of that. So how do I know I've been immersed in the Spirit? Well, as you look at the New Testament, well, you love the Godhead. You love the Lord, the Father and the, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You have a heart for the lost. You want you realize that you're not going to hell because of Jesus. You don't want other people to go to hell. You have a heart for saved people. It, it hurts you when you see someone who names Christ as Lord living carnally. And you, you want to root for those who are struggling and who are growing. You want to pray for your pastors. Because you understand God has given them to the church. And they can't do it without prayer. You want to pray for your church, the body of believers. What's the alternative to these things? Are they acceptable to you? If they are, I don't really have to love the Lord. I don't have to love the Savior. Well, then you're not saved yourself more than likely. You have a love for the Word of God because it is the voice of God. It's not just some printed thing. it's It's in the mind of God for us. You love the Scripture. You care about truth. You appreciate grace and mercy. And I don't know how you can get one without the other. Grace is God giving you things that are good that you don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding bad from you that you do deserve. Judgments. The mercy of God, just that, that's all right. You are forgiven. So these things, the the appreciation of them goes beyond just nodding the head. Yeah, that makes sense. It's an emotional something, even if it's not external. Even if it's not outward, it's inward. 1 Corinthians 3 tells 13, Tells us one other thing. You have love. The very thing this darling church backslid from. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. That's human speech and and that's spiritual language. But I have not love. I have become annoying to God. Well, it says I've become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Rather graphic. And if we brought in sounding brass and clanging cymbals, you'd be covering your ears you're beating them. Outward evidences of the Holy Spirit are imparted by the Spirit of God. And they cannot be faked. Well, they can be faked to humans, not to the Lord. And in time, they will, they, it will be pointed out. One other thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being, having the Spirit upon you, is that you're living for Jesus without him having to ask. It's just, I want to do this. God, the question is, does God still love me if I'm not filled? Absolutely. If you're saved, like these Ephesians were, but you're not filled, they're still loved. Otherwise, he would not have sent Paul there. Just your usefulness is is diminished greatly. You're not very useful to God. And a lot of Christians think that because they've acknowledged the Lord Jesus, that how come I'm not doing anything more? How come I'm just sort of just just existing? Well, then come up to prayer and ask the pastors to pray for you. That's the New Testament pattern. And if you say you're too proud to do that, well, that's more evidence the Spirit's not upon you. Pride is not a virtue. This, This kind of pride in the Christian life. So should I ask to be filled? Well, I'll let Jesus answer that. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit, will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. See, it's an invitation. If Christ gave me an invitation and I could do it, I I would jump on it. Well, if he's going to give you an invitation, it doesn't always mean you can do it, but it does mean you ought to to go to strive for it, and Peter would be an example of that. Peter asked to come out on the water, and the Lord says, sure, come on out, water's fine. <laughs> Being spilled with the fear does not mean I no longer struggle in my faith. Evidence of that is Peter and Barnabas up in the church at Antioch, slipping backwards in their understanding of the faith and not wanting to be around the Gentiles when the Jews came up. The Jews from, from Jerusalem, not the Jews that were up in Antioch already. And so Peter and, of course, Barnabas, men filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us right out they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet there they are, behaving as two goofballs. Don't we all? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I'm in verse 2. Well, these were days of transition. There's still days of transition here at the time this was taking place. When Jesus walked, there was no church as we know it. There was the the called out ones, the saints. But not not the formal assembly in Christ, taking communion, being baptized in his name. That did not exist when Christ walked. And this is a transition phase, still 20 years later. And I, I am immersed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. When I become a believer, I am in Christ but I am not automatically filled with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one Spirit. That is conversion. But there's another experience. And again, there are others that don't, don't preach this. I don't think you're going to hear this in an Episcopal church. I'm immersed in the Holy Spirit by Christ is a separate experience. See, when my conversion is the Holy Spirit immersing me into Christ if, in a language we can understand. But this is what Jesus says in John chapter 7. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, you don't go making up things about him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, John adds this, whom those believing in him, believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So God has an order to how He does things and He reveals it. And we have to learn, train ourselves, to line up with it, even if we don't like it, because we picked up something somewhere else. Maybe you go into a church and say, Well, water baptism's not that important. Yeah, well, maybe it's not it's not critical for salvation, but all in the New Testament it was an urgent deal. Nowhere in the New Testament was. Eh, I don't know, I'll think about it. If you are a Christian, you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is your duty to get water baptized. It's not an option. It's, you know, like, well, do you have it without nuts? No, it's, it's, it's formal. So verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. <laughs> It's not the, the, the inflection is not, well, what on earth? We, wasn't that kind of tone. But he wanted to know, what's, well, then what happened here? What is your understanding? And they went no further than that. John preached confession of sin according to the Old Testament. John's baptism was a Jewish baptism to repentance. Jesus' baptism is one of death to self and rebirth to God. That's one of the great differences between the two. And there are others. The apostles were immersed at the birth of the church at Pentecost. Well, before this, Christ breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Because he was always with them. But now he's leaving them. And he says, Receive you the Spirit. But that's still before Pentecost. So they, they were believers, of course. They were in union with God. But there was more. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was nothing casual about these men after this moment. Before this time, they were just a little clumsy, didn't really get the Scriptures too much. After this, they were catapulted into another experience. And Satan wouldn't stand for it. So what? He won't stand for it. That is not your cue to back down to Satan. He comes against every good relationship that he can get to. Be ready for him. It doesn't mean he's an automatic winner. He gets defeated. The whole book of Job teaches us that Satan can be defeated by us in this life. Not without God. Christian baptism and communion, both of those rites in the New Testament church, preach to the the existing generation something in history happened and it was big. On earth as it is in heaven. Baptism and communion say something big happened on earth and in heaven. And we are a part of it. The death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. But there's more. The inclusion of believers. What good would the death of Christ have been and the resurrection and the ascension if he didn't save souls? He didn't just come and, you know, sort of show off. Look at me, I can beat death. He did beat death. Our last enemy, the Bible says. And then he invites us to be with him. And so, if they had been baptized as Christians before, they would have known the Holy Spirit, for the formula had been preached, but they didn't get it. Verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, that they should believe on him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So, Paul had the gospel understanding before they were in print. See, when they printed the gospels, it wasn't that they just figured it out. They had been living it for all those years. Matthew's gospel might just be coming into circulation, or Mark's. Uh, they didn't put a date on it. Anyway, Paul acknowledges their belief. He says, indeed, uh, Paul said, John and he baptized with the baptism of repentance, and uh, he's, he's he's saying to them, "You need to be rebaptized in the Savior's salvation." Now, I believe if you have been if, if you have been uh, baptized and you become a backslider, you don't get baptized again. You don't. You need to just get your life right and and move forward in the strength of of the Lord. And that happens quite often. But if you are baptized by I don't know if the Jehovah's Witnesses do this or not. I, I don't want to know. But just using them as an example, because I don't like their doctrine. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and neither does the New Testament, incidentally. Uh, if you were baptized there, you need to get rebaptized. You need to be baptized by people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as God the Son, the Son of God. You can't say the Son of God without Him being God the Son. Amen. Because you can't say that about me. I, I am a Son of God, but I am not the Son of God. That definite, definite article means everything. And throughout the New Testament, water baptism is always characterized by a sense of urgency, eagerness, and excitement. And it should be the same way with us. When someone says, have you been baptized? And you said, water baptized and you're of age? I I strongly believe that. I don't think a two-year-old can, you know, really doesn't, kind of breaks down there. I think that you should be excited about it. Write my name down on that list. If you, and baptize me in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in front of as many people as can see it. If we could just hack into television and the internet and block out everybody else and show our baptisms, <laughs> would it be right? <laughs> and of course, no. Anyway, <laughs> the death, the resurrection, the ascension, it's all about Christ, but it is a benefit to me. And if I'm not in that picture, something is desperately wrong. We draw attention to Christ because of what he does for us. And we try to not draw attention to ourselves because we want to shine the light on him. So John's baptism did not go far enough in its history or in its symbolism. Life to death, the life over death, his baptism did not preach that. His baptism preached to the Jewish people that if you are a, G- a follower of the Old Testament scriptures, you need to get closer to God and admit you're a sinner and start fixing your life up. Well, we continue, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is to Christ. So he clarifies John's message and proclaims the lordship of Christ. And when Christ said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, he's doing this. And then he says, Jesus does in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's going to do. The personal and public confession of admitting, I don't belong to this world. Keep your hands off meat, we like to say to the world. It won't. My, I am dead to sin, but sin's not dead to me. Do we understand that? I hope we do. I, I want to be perfect. I strive to be perfect. Uh, but I fail from time to time. Um, in this age, again, driving is one of the best places to see what your faith is, <laughs> where your weak points are. Right? Anyway, verse five. And, and let me. I have a question. Don't answer because I want to understand it. Everybody, a little. Do any of you think you're a bad driver? Do bad drivers think they're bad drivers? I've never heard someone. Oh, you know, I'm such a bad driver. So it's always the other guy. Anyway. Verse five: When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. See, there it is. No persuasion necessary. They heard the truth; they responded to it because they were already believers. They were eager to go deeper in their faith. Verse six: When Paul laid, had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, a prophet. Don't think every time you hear the word prophecy, it does not mean you are predicting the future. That's not the definition of prophecy. If you were reading the word of God out loud, it's, it falls under that category. There are other types of prophecy, as there are types of love. The love that you may have for a goldfish won't be the same love that you should have for your parents or your spouse or whoever it is that, that you do love. Uh, nothing complicated about that. But for these people, it was spiritually emotional. Their feelings were not out of control. They were under total control. They were allowed to let go. Some Christians cannot worship without letting go a little bit. They're almost standing at attention. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. I don't go around, oh, look at that person. But, you know, but, but, uh, you know to, to one of the beauties of knowing songs without reading them is you get to another level of worship. Uh, not that the other levels are bad, but there are other levels. And if you know the words, you can outshout the singers. No, you don't do that. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Remember, I mentioned to you, you can't receive the Spirit if you're not a believer. He continues, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. So, for he dwells with you, para, and will be in you. The E-N in the Greek. And then now we read here, the Holy Spirit came, the Greek, epi. Upon them. So there's three different experiences there. They can all happen at once, they can happen over a period of time. This removed any lingering doubts as to the necessity of having Jesus immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Remember, John said He baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And from Corinthians, it's the Holy Spirit baptizing you into Christ. This is amazing. I don't know why it's not taught more often. And so they needed to to know Jesus Christ is crucified and alive and active and that his promises, even through John, were fulfilled. Now it's available. Verse 7. Now the men were about 12 in all. That's a factual note. I don't know of any explicit implication to that. Just there were about 12 of them. Uh, Except to say, how come they weren't in this part of the synagogue? Verse 8, and he, that is Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So he returns to this synagogue that in chapter 18 he had visited sometime earlier. And now verse 9, and when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitudes, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So Paul said, Fine, I'm not going to jam this down your throat. You don't want to hear it, I'll go elsewhere. I'm not I'm not trying to you know convince you. The Holy Spirit convinces, convicts, we we witness, and he did his witness. And he's not gonna he's not gonna share Christ with people who determine to reject the message. Now, again, disciples here is applied to the believers. That's how Luke uses it. That consistency means something. Uh, Again, and also, nothing casual about a deeper experience with Christ. But it comes with opposition. Matthew 5, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we should never be surprised if somebody gives us a hard time. The church did not, incidentally, begin to meet in church buildings of their own until about the 4th century before Rome allowed that. Otherwise, they they met in houses, not because they were avoiding church buildings. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, Where else could they meet? So usually someone with, with means, someone wealthy. You know, a lot of people talk bad about rich people. That's why they don't give you any money. No... No. Anyway, a thriving, a thriving church is established in Ephesus. It took eight years for Paul to get here, to this place. Because eight years earlier, God forbade him from coming to Asia. See, the, the, the wisdom of God is just, if he tells you no, rejoice in that. And once you learn how to do that, tell me how you did it so I can know. Because when I really want, no, no, no I, I like to, it's almost, you know, you got to be careful. Because you start getting good at something in Christianity, you can, pride starts creeping in. Look at me. I know how to obey. You don't. I'm better than you. Uh, I don't ever think that way. But I do sense from time to time pride creeping up. And I learn to rechannel it to satisfaction and, and glory. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. I mean, you can't ask the Lord for something and he gives it to you, then you feel guilty. That's the devil stealing the joy. That's not God. I mean, what if what if you asked for, you know, a better job and you get it? And then you feel, oh, you know, there are people in, you know, suffering. and Yeah, they are, but this is what you've been given. Now make it work. Look, God loves the people who are not as fortunate as you as much as the people who are more fortunate as you. I mean, God has a different perspective, and we need to line up with that. Anyway, he says, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, those first Christians were serious about sharing their faith without a church on every corner. I don't think it brings much glory to God to go into a place and see a church on every single corner, especially when they're just doing more of the same. It's one thing if they, you know, they got a different approach. Here's, here's a Lutheran church. Here's a Presbyterian one, a Baptist one, E-I-E-I-O. But... When they're just another church, especially the non-denominational churches, like, well, what are you doing different from the other guy? Well, it's me up here, not him. They're not good enough. Why can't you guys? Why? But it ain't going to change, because I don't like it. It doesn't change. But uh, how do you feel when you say, oh, look, another church. Oh, and there's another one. Oh, and there's another one. What do you feel about that? Something to ponder. Things that make you go, hmm. Both Jews and Greeks, well, Christianity has come a long way since Pentecost. Now the Jews and the Gentiles are in the church, and we have much more to go in the book of Acts. One of the greatest chapters will be the last one, when Paul goes to Rome, and they just love on him so much. Well, let's pray, and we will get ready for communion. I did not forget. Our Father, this morning, this morning, Lord, as we have considered your word Perhaps there are believers here that have never had your spirit come upon them. Well, Lord, if they are here, may you give them the courage to step forward. And Pastors could pray that they would be filled with your spirit. This is something that you have ordained. This is something you're very serious about. If you've not opened your life to Christ ever, then you are in a worse state. You're in a lost state. And by lost, it means you will perish after death. You will go to a place, you will still exist, but you won't want to be there, and it will be forever. To avoid that, be saved from the judgment to come. You can only do that through Jesus Christ. Hearing me say that, you may have other questions. Well, there are answers to those questions. But the first question is, where are you? with the God of creation. Are you an enemy, a foe, or are you a friend? If you would like to be the friend of Christ, and don't misunderstand, God can love you and you be his enemy, but that runs out after a while. He would rather, he would rather love you as a friend. All you need to do is make the confession. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Because I break your commandments, because I am born in iniquity. And I come to you, Lord Jesus, to be forgiven, that you would receive me as one of your own, that there would be a place in heaven reserved for me also. I give my life to you right here, right now, and I ask you to not only save my soul, but fill me with your Holy Spirit, Be the Lord over my life forever. Amen.